Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. What's up, Pels fans? This is part three. I'll keep this one short. Go on over to the Bird Rights and check out our latest contributions from Ollie and Fish. Check out our previous episodes with guests from 16 Wins a Ring, Locked on Magic, and our very own Kevin Berrios and Ollie Cassell. And like and subscribe, retweet if you like what you're hearing and you're still with us. Uh, you know, do us one extra favor. We love and appreciate having you here. Now, let's bring on Bleacher Report NBA's Dan Favalli. And now we welcome onto the program our good buddy Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report NBA. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, Preston. How are you? I'm so good. And thank you so much for taking the time again to talk to me. In case you guys don't know, I'm sure you read his article. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Every day and you don't even know it. He is the deputy editor of NBA Math. He contributes to the Step Back, Hardwood Knox, but his main thing, or where I find him all the time, is Bleacher Report NBA. And you have been very busy this past week, Dan, haven't you? Yes, it's been uh, it's been a hectic couple of weeks. I uh, do love it, but it, it's definitely crazy. But again, it's, it's also a lot of fun. How much sleep are you getting right now? I can get between three and four. I'm golden at the moment. Oh my goodness, that is quite something to live up to. Uh, I, I can't say that I could do the same. But we've got so much going on right now. And uh, before we talk about last season and how that differs to this one, talk about what's the most surprising thing to happen so far. We've got the the Paul George and the Jimmy Butler trades. We've got the CP3 sign and trade. Which one really blew your socks off? The CP3 deal for sure I think even if you thought the Rockets were a legitimate destination and even if you thought he was going to get traded to go there him opting in and essentially allowing it to happen as a non-sign-in trade so you didn't have to worry about matching his new salary which would have been closer to 35 million dollars I just didn't see that coming it was I was absolutely floored I honestly thought if a team was going to take him away, we were going to see the Spurs jump through all their salary cap hoops and, and he would sign with them. And to, again, to get that news before free agency even started but was just absolutely incredible. It was just one of those deals that people came out afterwards and were like, well, there was chatter about it beforehand. But you know that these reporters and that these people behind the scenes, even they had to be a little bit uncomfortable with the talks if they weren't reporting them. Uh, beforehand just because from a public standpoint it, it seems like he came out of left field and and rarely 
does something like this happen without us getting drips and drabs of it on Twitter, on social media and someone's articles. And we just didn't have that. So again, I was absolutely floored to find out that that was the situation. It all happened so fast. And something that I wanted to talk to you about, uh, how prevalent is tampering in the NBA? Because for these two sides to come to an agreement so quickly and get these pieces across before media even caught wind of it, these these players and these other franchises had to be speaking with each other. Why isn't this something that can be policed more closely? And do you have a problem with it? Well, I don't have a problem with it because there's even if you, first of all, it's not enforced for the players. We know that uh, LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade were talking about playing together in 2008, I think it was. Um, and we know that Draymond Green was recruiting Kevin Durant all year during that 2015-2016 campaign. If you're not going to enforce it amongst the players, like let's just move on. And even if you did, how do you prove the existence of a conversation between you know, Chris Paul, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Mello toasting some wine after they get off their banana boat saying that they're going to play? together eventually later on in their careers you, you can't prove that even if it leaks out unless you have eyes on them at, at all times or their conversations are being recorded so that's not a, a big deal to me these players are going to find a way to team up if they really want to and the Chris Paul situation was unique because if he informed the Clippers that he was going to opt in um, and that this is what he wanted to do then you're allowed to talk to the Rockets about a trade so um, maybe there was stuff behind the scenes before it was official and uh, the Rockets got word that Paul was a possibility because James Harden had been talking to him all year. There's definitely lines are blurred all, all the time. And I think that's just a part of it. I, I don't think this is something that needs to be enforced. I don't necessarily think it, it's a problem. Um, and, and, and again, it's, it's always going to happen no matter what you do, especially amongst the players themselves. Do you think this is a, a scheduling uh, concern where the, I think the NBA finals ended on uh, somewhere around June 12th. So free agency takes place three weeks later. Is is this something that can be accelerated forward so that we it seems like the players know what's going to happen before the, their own franchises do. Is is this something that can move like forward a week? A lot of people want free agency to take place before the draft. Uh, this way, teams know what they need heading into the draft. They understand what trade markets are and what other teams have done in free agency. And and that's fine. But I, I think if we've learned anything, it's that expediting the free agency process isn't going to change the recruiting process. Just because you only have, you know, let's say the NBA Finals ends on June 12th or June 15th, and you start free agency 48 to 72 hours after that, that doesn't just mean that things are happening behind the scenes for 48, 72 hours. You, you've got guys who didn't make the playoffs uh, that have had those few weeks, those couple of months to recruit players if their teams have cap space or if they're free agents that are being recruited by other guys. These things are taking place over the course of the entire season. So as far as tampering goes, I, I don't believe moving up uh, the free agency date will do anything to address that. Okay, that's my own personal gripe. I'm not even sure if anybody else uh, has as many concerns with the tampering as I do. Uh, it's just interesting to me that Daryl Morey can say a player's name and be fined $100,000, but these guys can have backdoor conversations whenever they want. Let's talk more about winners in free agency this year. Do you have a favorite? Uh, Sacramento just added Zebo and George Hill. Oklahoma City, of course, got Paul George, Patrick Patterson, brought back Roberson on a great contract. Houston, CP3, the Wolves, Butler, and Teague. The Nuggets with Millsap. Do you, do you have a favorite coming out of free agency as a winner? 
I do, and it's never a team I would have picked beforehand, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Getting Paul George for what they did was absolutely fantastic. And let's assume that he still leaves and goes to the Lakers next summer. You got out of a fairly onerous contract in Victor Oladipo and gave up a solid, if unspectacular, prospect in Domantas Sabonis. That's fine. And it's especially fine because if Paul George leaves, the assumption will probably be that Russell Westbrook, who's also slated for free agency, is gone as well. And you're not going to want Victor, contrary to what the Pacers are doing, you don't want Victor Oladipo's contract when you're a team trying to rebuild. You don't want that money, and you don't necessarily want his talent where he's not good enough to anchor a playoff team, but he's probably going to help you get up to that 30-win plateau. So even in the worst-case scenario, you can evaluate this trade as a victory for the Thunder, and, and that's really important. Then to sign Patrick Patterson to the deal that they did for the mid-level exception, taxpayers' mid-level exception, no less, is, is absolutely fantastic. He's a guy, he doesn't do too much on the offensive end, but he can hit threes. He'll make a little bit, he'll make some plays off the bounce. There are times when he can finish around the rim, even though he struggles there. But he's going to give you a lot of switchability on the defensive end. You put him at the four next to Steven Adams, and uh, he might, he'll be able to switch onto power forwards and pick and rolls. He'll be able to cover the ball handlers in pick and rolls. You can run those hyper small lineups like the, Ra- the Raptors sometimes did, where you slot him at the five, and you could basically switch everything if you have Andre Roberson and Paul George on the floor as well. And the, the last thing, like you said, is Roberson, th- that three year, $30 million deal was below market last, if we look back at last fall. Fred Katz, who does a fantastic job for the Norman transcript, reported that he had a four-year, $48 million offer on the table last fall. And the fact that his value actually plummeted while he was busy establishing himself as one of the three best perimeter defenders in the NBA, it says a lot about the money that was spent last year. It says a lot about kind of the tepid and unimpressive markets for free agents this year. But it it just speaks to the offseason also that the Thunder have had. To lock him up on that deal is, is absolutely amazing. He's a bargain even when you factor in his broken jumper. Let's talk about that uh, uh, one more second, about last year versus this year. Last year, there were four- and five-year max deals handed out to players like Bradley Beal, DeMar DeRozan, Drummond, Batum, Fournier, Conley, Barnes, Mahimi, uh, Ryan Anderson, Hassan Whiteside. This year, we've only had four. What a contrast. Uh, Gordon Hayward, Drew Holiday, Steph Curry, and Blake Griffin. Do you think that like five, ten years from now, we just look back at the summer of 2016 in awe and, and tear our hair out when we think about how much money was given out in it? It's possible, depending on what team that you root for, uh, just because so much money was given out. And I don't think anyone saw this coming, at least not uh, – or, um, I, again, I don't think anyone saw this coming. I think teams have even been – caught a little off guard with the market for these guys, even when these players are getting money. You know, Kyle Lowry got near his max. Paul Mills have got near his max. These are three-year deals. They're not the four- and the five-year contracts that a lot of people thought these players might be able to command. And I think it's just sticker shock. We came out of last summer where these ridiculous contracts were being given out to players who didn't necessarily deserve them. And it was always just this different extreme, you know, giving $72 million to Alan Crabb is one thing, but giving $64 million to Timothy Mozgov is another. Giving $74 million to Joakim Noah is another thing entirely as well. So when you just factor in all that spending and how bad some of these deals look, then combine it with how projections for the salary cap basically plummeted. If we're looking at 12 to 18 months ago, I, I think these projections were 
for this upcoming season, we're somewhere close to $110 million and it didn't even break a hundred million right now. It's at 99 million. So now they look even worse because you were operating on this one ceiling for so long. And now all of a sudden you've gotten a much lower one. And I don't know who will look back at the summer of 2016 and be absolutely frightened or disgusted. I'm sure some people will, but I think it was more a learning experience than anything. And I think teams will have, and even writers, uh, us guys, will have more foresight to kind of think about the ramifications of any future substantial salary cap spikes. Dan, I don't mean you specifically, but you as a, as a general term. Are you blaming the uncompetitive playoffs due to the super team performances of the Dubs and the Cavs for the plummeting cap this season? I'm not going to blame it entirely because so much goes into calculating the cap and the, the basketball-related income. It definitely factored in, um, I'm sure, because uh, we're talking about a five-game series as opposed to a seven-game one. But, you know, you can't possibly tell me that because we didn't get two other NBA Finals games that the cap was was able to plummet by $4 million or a total of, let's say it was even closer to 10 when you're looking at these earlier projections. I, I think these things are just very fluid. It's like last year when they were introducing the first that large salary cap jump, everyone thought it was going to be smaller than it actually was. And it turned out being a little bit bigger and it wound up jumping by almost $25 million. These things just happen. And I think those who use that excuse to me, in my opinion, are just looking for a reason to complain about the Warriors and the existence of super teams and this treadmill of predictability that has become the NBA's pecking order. And if you have an issue with it, that's fine, but I don't think that directly, at least, maybe it's partially responsible for this cap situation now, but to imply that it had such a heavy impact um, on what teams are looking at now and the salary cap projections that are being thrown out now, it seems a little bit overblown to me. Speaking of the, the treadmill of predictability, which I love, by the way, I wrote that down the second that you that you said it. The Eastern Conference is just getting crushed right now by by the roided out Western Conference that just continues adding talent. And we spoke a second ago about Oklahoma City, and I wanted to touch on that again, regardless of what they've added, Paul George, Patrick Patterson and Andre Roberson coming back. You, you know, you've got the Warriors who are beefing up with uh, Swaggy P and Omri Caspi. You've got the Spurs who are bringing back pretty much everybody. Uh, Gasol and Simmons are still in the market, but I'd assume they'd come back. I'm not really sure. The Rockets who have gotten CP3. The Clippers who are reloading. The Jazz still have Ricky Rubio, Joe Ingles. They've got Favors, Hood, Rudy Gobert's getting better and better. They might be getting Jay Crowder. We'll talk on that in a second. The Wolves added Jeff Teague and Jimmy Butler. The West is looking really crowded right now, regardless of how... Um, of how much Oklahoma City has improved in the past two weeks. Do you see a path for them to even a a home series in the playoffs? Yeah, I think they could end up for sure being in the top four of the conference. I don't think the Clippers are going to be all that good. They should be a playoff team, and they better hope they're a playoff team uh, with the way that they're kind of flirting with the, the luxury tax and a hard cap after getting rid of Chris Paul. The Jazz might still be a playoff team, but I think if you look, at the top of the conference, it's kind of open after the first three seeds. We know the Warriors, the Spurs, and the Rockets are going to be there. That number four seed is up for grabs, and the two Oklahoma City's two fiercest competitors just lost uh, their best player. Uh, you, you had the Utah Jazz losing Gordon Hayward, and you had the Clippers losing Chris Paul. So they're, they shouldn't be as good 
as they were last year. And I think that really opens the door for the Thunder to make that leap into the top four. They could also end up being fifth or sixth, and that, that's kind of this limbo we're in now. Uh, to touch on the Pelicans really quickly, we don't know how good they're going to be. They were unimpressive. They were okay as the season wore on, and that Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins dynamic kind of figured itself out. But what, what if they make a jump? They have two top ten players in the NBA along with Drew Holiday. that We can't rule them out as contending for a spot like that. The Grizzlies and the Blazers probably in that, aren't in that conversation, but, but the Nuggets fall in there now, too. You add Paul Millsap. You have Nikola Jokic. You're probably going to get another mini jump from Gary Harris. What happens if you get a leap from Jamal Murray? What happens if Wilson Chandler stays healthy? What if this is the year Emmanuel Moutier starts doing things? And then finally, we have the Timberwolves. Their, their spacing is iffy still. It should be about average. Jimmy Butler's an underrated shooter. Gorgie Jang has always been a little bit of an underrated shooter. We know Carl Anthony Towns can step out and knock down jumpers. Uh, they're going to be a candidate for that top four spot as well. So I think there's a clear path for Oklahoma City to get there, but there are just going to be so many teams vying for that same chunk of territory in the Western Conference, four, five, six, seven, and eight. This might be one of those years where you look and let's say Oklahoma City gets the fourth seed and they won 53 games maybe the eighth seed won 51 or 50 and that that seems like the kind of season it's shaping up to be in the west and there's still a lot of pieces to go around you've got two great articles up on bleacher report nba right now you've got the cp3 ripple effect and you've also got the c's not done dealing in reference to the gordon hayward signing whenever these superstars move all these pieces underneath them suddenly become available and there there becomes like this uh, sort of game of uh, musical chairs i think it's called where these players just go back and forth from from roster to roster i mentioned jay crowder marcus smart and avery bradley being some of those guys jj reddick you had some deandre trade rumors for for a hot second uh just to talk about the celtics specifically for a moment uh what are you hearing in regards to the the marcus saul rumors and how they're going to get off that salary in regards again to bradley smart and crowder to add gordon hayward to that four-year 128 million dollar deal i don't place too much stock in the marcus all rumors maybe it's an idea that they've kicked around but if you're a team that's chasing the cavaliers or the war and the Warriors, the solution isn't to get bigger. And Marcus Hall's a good player, but he's 32 years old and he's not going to necessarily help you defensively in the sense, how do you switch with him and Al Horford? He doesn't even improve your defensive rebounding that much. And, and so I, I wouldn't expect them to make a play for him. And if Danny Ainge wasn't going to give up assets for a Paul George or a Jimmy Butler, why would he do it for Marcus Hall when he's older? Just because he's under contract for longer, that wouldn't necessarily make any sense the thing i think we need to remember about boston and the situation they're in they're perfectly built right now because they have all these wings who can switch on defense shoot threes most of them can handle the ball that's what you want the goal for them is at this point with hayward you seem like you're one player short you want to try and consolidate some of that talent into a paul george or jimmy butler type player or you have to hope that jalen brown or jason tatum becomes that player shortly and I think those are the moves they will look at if an opportunity arises that we can't foresee and I honestly can't name a player now that Paul George and Jimmy Butler are both off the market but if an opportunity comes uh, um, that's when they'll evaluate moving those pieces I believe that being said they do need to shed some money to open up Gordon Hayward's max of 29.7 million dollars my assumption was that it would be Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart just because both of those guys are going to be due for raises next summer and if you're going to have to invest so much more money in them, it's not going to be as big of a loss to lose them. 
But what we're hearing right now, and Mark Murphy of the Boston Herald had the latest, he says a sign-and-trade for Gordon Hayward with the Jazz that includes Jay Crowder is quote-unquote close. I guess that might happen. I don't see the point in it for the Celtics. Jay Crowder has the NBA's best contract, and what you're doing is essentially flipping him for someone you already have, which goes against Danny Ainge's train of logic throughout this whole offseason when he wouldn't pony up assets for Jimmy Butler or Paul George. Crowder shouldn't be the one you're moving, period. I know the fit with Hayward might be awkward, but you can get supreme value for that contract. If he is the one you want to move, you should be dealing him to another team that'll give you a higher-end prospect, a higher-end pick for him because he's worth that much. Uh, I, I won't infer anything, but the fact that this scenario exists uh, makes me think that maybe it was a condition of Gordon Hayward coming to Boston, that he didn't want to leave Utah empty-handed. And this is kind of his farewell gift, as Woj over at ESPN.com uh, put it. It's just – I know the Jazz fans think that the Celtics somehow don't have leverage here, but they can trade Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart in a second to probably a dozen other teams and get to keep Crowder and not deal with the Jazz at all and just sign Hayward outright. Um, they could deal Crowder somewhere else and get a better return than whatever the Jazz are offering in, in addition to Hayward. It's a great situation for the Jazz who, let's say no other pieces are involved. You get Crowder on the NBA's best contract, plus a trade exception worth $22.9 million for Gordon Hayward, and, and that's a big deal. But from the Celtics' standpoint, I would honest to God be shocked if this deal went through because that's how little sense it makes from their perspective. We've got some breaking news right now. Cleveland.com is reporting Jamal Crawford spoke with LeBron and is very interested in joining the Cavs uh, after his buyout with the Hawks. And the Mavericks, according to the NY Post, are emerging as serious contenders for Derrick Rose. In addition to that, we've got these Kenneth Fareed rumors. We've got Tony Allen to the Clippers. CJ Miles is still on the market. Chris Bosh is being waived. Wade is still talking buyout. What do you think is the next domino to fall in free agency? I'm kind of waiting on Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. I'm wondering why no one's given him an offer sheet just yet. And I know the market for restricted free agents isn't great, but, you know, Otto Porter got the max. Maybe KCP doesn't get as much. I'm, I'm just surprised no one's tried to push the Pistons, who are hard-capped now after signing Langston Galloway. And Kentavious Caldwell-Pope isn't necessarily a huge domino, but – He's probably the biggest name left on the market at this point. Uh, the other thing that I'm surprised, and, and you mentioned this, but it's, it's, it's a two-player issue, is what is going on with C.J. Miles? I've only heard him very, very loosely linked to the Timberwolves. And then Jermichael Green, uh, who, to me, I, I might say he's better than Contavious Caldwell-Pope right now, just looking what he's able to do uh, defensively. Uh, can step out and shoot to three on offense, isn't a high-usage guy, is pretty good at defending in isolation, a good defensive rebounder. That's a restricted free agent in a market that's not necessarily competitive for restricted free agents that you would still expect to get some kind of offers. And uh, I'm interested to see why teams, maybe they just don't want to waste their cap space because there's so little of it, but little of it, excuse me, but both him and KCP, I'm, I'm kind of sitting there um, waiting on, and, and those seem like the next two big dominoes that need to fall. And after that, or maybe even above that, is, is C.J. Miles, who was arguably one of the three best spot-up shooters in the league last year. And you combine that with the fact that at 6'6", he can defend even some power forwards. At least Indy tried to let him do that. Um, I don't know if his demands are off the charts. I, I honestly don't know, but he's a player that everyone should want 
in today's NBA. And it's just bizarre to me that there hasn't been more chatter surrounding him. And, and maybe once this Boston, uh, Utah, Hayward, Drake, Jay Crowder mess gets cleared up, maybe things start to fall um, quick and fast. But uh, I, I honestly, I'm at a loss for why some of these other dominoes uh, haven't, haven't fell yet, particularly when we've moved out of the moratorium period. Again, this is Bleacher Report NBA's Dan Favalli. You can follow him at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I know how busy you are, and I appreciate your time so much. I know you've got a lot to do. Uh, before I let you go, if I could just get some predictions out of you as regard to the Pelicans, uh, we still have our mid-level exception, we still have our biannual, and we still have our trade exception from the Buddy Heald trade. In addition, there's been a lot of talk about stretching Omar Sheik, although it does us very little good right now as we're already $11 million over the cap. Do you see the Pelicans making any more major moves? A lot of us would love the C.J. Miles edition. And how do you see us competing in a loaded Western Conference right now? To answer the second question first, I don't know how the Pelicans are going to compete in the West next year. I do kind of expect them to be a playoff team just because both Cousins and Davis are so damn good. And you bring in the Denver Nuggets assistant, I think that'll help you offensively trying to balance touches between them. And since Drew Holiday is back, you, you have to imagine, even though he was paid to come back, that he's on board with what's happening. And he's a guy who can play off the ball when you need him to. I, I think they'll have enough to get there. Maybe they won't necessarily be in that conversation for the 4-5 or five spot, but I, I do think they, they have enough to get into the playoffs, especially when you look at kind of how Memphis has fallen off. Uh, I think Utah will still be a playoff team, but the Clippers seem like more of a wild card when you factor in Blake Griffin's health issues. The Blazers are a 500 team, and I don't necessarily know that that exact core is going to get a lot better just because you might have a healthy, healthy Yosef Nurkic. The, it, like you said, CJ Miles would be perfect for the Pelicans, but they have to do way more than just stretch Omira Sheik to get him. What they've done that I actually like, though, as opposed to, let's say, a team that's very inflexible like the Cavaliers, is it seems like they're sort of waiting out the market right now, where the Cavs jumped at the chance to sign Jose Calderon when I don't know why you wouldn't wait and see what Shelvin Max value or, or something along those lines because he's an, he's an upgrade over Calderon there, and maybe that's what uh, the Pelicans are doing. Maybe there are names that prove to be exponentially cheaper than we thought. I mean, Ben McElmore signed for the Grizzlies uh, at $5 million, I think, per, per year. So it's just these things are very fluid, and the fact that they're quiet is good. I don't, I don't know that the mid-level would be enough to get C.J. Miles. I thought he was going to get somewhere between like 12 and $15 million, but Andre Roberson, I thought he might have been a near-max candidate, and he ended up getting $12 million annually. So maybe C.J. Miles does fall. Uh, into that MLE. We didn't think Patrick Patterson was going to fall there either. He ended up falling into the taxpayers' mid-level exception. So uh, I think being patient right now, if, if you're the Pelicans and seeing how the market develops and seeing who might still be available when all those dominoes settle it is a good approach. And who knows, maybe you really even strike gold and find out that C.J. Miles is obtainable just because – um, his price tag has dropped so much, and, and we haven't seen all these other guys get money. They they probably don't have enough to really talk about a restricted free agent like Tim Hardaway Jr., since the Hawks have the ability to match. Um, but it, I'm, I'm trying to look up names right now for them. Uh, it's just there, there's a lot of guys still in the market, and, and we just don't know what their price tags are going to be. And, and again, to just repeat myself, I think almost waiting out the C.J. Miles situation kind of makes a ton of sense because you never know if he falls into that MLE uh, sweet spot that that's a big deal 
for New Orleans. And as far as what else they could do, I'd like to kind of see them target a backup point guard, um, especially after you traded Tim Frazier, whom I very much liked. Uh, maybe you can look at a guy like Darren Williams. He could still be a good backup. He's not going to give you much defensively, or maybe they're just letting that situation develop. Uh, could you add a guy like, uh, I don't even Ian Clark, what is his cost going to be? He might be able to help you there. There are a lot of pieces in motion here, and I, and I think it's smart of, of New Orleans to kind of wait it out and see where some of these bigger name chips fall just because the market has been so turbulent. They might be able to get players they didn't expect to be in competition for. I just spoke with the, the Locked On Magic host, Philip Rossman Reich, and he expressed a lot of the same views that you did on, on sitting back and waiting and just uh, finding finding your chance to strike. One player the Pelicans were rumored to have conversations with as, as far as point guards go was Ty Lawson. But, uh, Dan, I have to celebrate for a moment because you mentioned Shelvin Mack, and my editor is going to kill me, Ali Cassell. I know he's going to listen to this, and he, he beats me up every day for mentioning Shelvin Mack. But uh, we need a return of the Mack to New Orleans. Dan, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are and only getting three to four hours of sleep. I can barely function on five. Thank you so much. We'd love to have you on again soon. Keep doing your great work, and we'll be following you closely. Most definitely. Thank you for having me as always, Preston. Take care. All right. You're the man, and you guys can follow him at Bleacher Report NBA again and at Dan Favalli. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in. Now, if you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. You know the drill. Retweet, like, share, go on iTunes, leave a comment. We really appreciate all your help. You've already done so much. Why not do a little bit more? Now, we've got a lot more coming your way. Uh, if you haven't already, go check out our interview with Locked On Magic's Philip Rossman Reich and also Christian Rivas of 16 Wins a Ring. And tomorrow, we're going to have some of our friends from the Bird Rights back on. We're going to have a three man pod. And then next week, we have in-depth interviews with some of our friends who are over at Las Vegas Summer League about what they've been seeing from the Pelicans. So don't go anywhere. We've got you guys covered. But for now, thanks for joining us, and let's go, pals. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.